Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's a mystery game because when you create the crime, you intentionally leave blanks. You leave room for questions to be answered. You're not sitting there and saying, this is true, this is false, this is who did it. Instead, the game guides you through creating facts in a way that makes you ask questions. 
My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. everyone thank you for coming to the draw your dice podcast my name is jeremy gage as you heard in the intro but as always the show is never about me it is about who i have brought to you today and who i have brought to you today is a returning alum again on the show this is the year once again i would like to welcome back the great the fabulous the powerful nevin holmes hello it is me i am back that intro never gets old it's so good Thank you. Nevin, just in case this is the first time someone is hearing about you on my channels, would you just give a brief introduction of who you are and how you present yourself to the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Hey there, my name is Nevin. My pronouns are they, he. I am a queer, independent, tabletop role-playing game designer based out of Central Texas. I make cool, very good games. I try to do really experimental game design. I try to really push the envelope in a few different ways. And most importantly, I make sure to absolutely be on my bullshit at all times. I love that. Usually at this point in the show, I would ask Nevin for their lineage in tabletop role-playing games. However, there's an episode already doing that. So go listen to that one. We talk a lot about Gun and Slinger. We talk a lot about the Western genre and how to how to subvert that shit and it's just good times just good chats but today uh we're going to talk about the project you're currently working on and we don't you know here's a teaser it's called just a car we're not going to get into it right this exact second but before that nevin what have you been playing lately what's been going on in in games world for you playing oh geez i actually just got done lots of video games i've been playing grounded it's like a honey i shrunk the kids style survival game It's very cute. Uh I picked Magic the Gathering back up because I'm a creature of habit and an unfortunate little idiot. And I just got done playing in a like three session long masks game. That was really fun. What was your masks game, your three session mask game about? If you if it's okay to share. Idiot teenagers with superpowers. Saving the day. But what was your campaign about? Oh, <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there narrative? was like, there was like, a, 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 the big famous superhero had a sidekick and the sidekick was mind controlling the villains to make the big famous superhero look good. Christ. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and who did you play? I was... Caliper Clip Quinsley, the delinquent. My superpowers were gadgetry and teleportation. Sick. Those are very good. I feel like gadgetry is such a Swiss army knife ability because you could literally just describe whatever you wanted to. I feel like I feel like I was maybe a little too clever because there were a couple times where the GM had to be like, uh, well, I can't just let you have the solution. I was like, yeah, I know, but <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> gadgetry i've got the whiteboard dude <laughs> yeah come on uh, it's in jira what do you want from me <laughs> 
Did you know that ClickUp is the jerk killer? This is not sponsored by ClickUp. Anyways, what about I? I vibe. I vibe with ClickUp. Yeah. ClickUp is cool. ClickUp is cool. What for Magic the Gathering? Did you just get back into it like Neon Dynasty or before that? I technically like a little. I was just extremely bored one day, mm-hmm. so I downloaded Arena and I was like, "Oh, this new Innistrad set is is pretty sick." And then I started talking to my friends, and it turns out a lot more of my friends play Magic than I thought. And then I bought cards, and the last pieces of a new deck arrive on Tuesday. <laughs> and yes, I'm playing the Dynasty. It's is bad. It got me bad, Jeremy. <laughs> Listen, every time a new set comes out, I there's a little piece of me that always goes, well, it's really easy to download Magic the Gathering Arena for Mac, so, you know. Here's the, th- here's the thing, it, it is, and it's 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 a problem. <laughs> it is a pro- I think the thing that keeps me away from Magic the Gathering Arena is the lack of other social play modes in it. Like, I'm really attracted to, like, drafting and commander and stuff like that and you only get like the 1v1 player invite formatting which it i don't know it has like sealed and draft now but there's no like communication and the thing to me that's really fun about like sealed and draft is like bullshitting with the people that you're playing with like Mm. arena misses out on a lot of the stuff that makes magic magical which is people human human beings but you know we do live in uh, current day so it's very difficult to do those things safely so eh. yeah take what you can get right yeah i also that newer playtime what's it called brawl where it's commander but it's just 60 cards instead of 100 cards i also find that really fascinating i have not tried that yet yeah i don't know I just like smaller deck sizes. A hundred cards is like, do I get through all this? And I am I really going to spend like the extra twenty bucks to get Sliver Queen? Probably not. <laughs> the, the answer is yes. EDH or Commander is like not not made for one v one. That is like you want like mm-hmm. at least three people sitting around playing because EDH gets fun when it gets like into the interplayer politics. That's what's fun about that. Yeah. Especially with all of, like, the specifically Commander-designed cards. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole... What is it? What was that mechanic? Goad? The goad mechanic? I don't know this. You're, yeah, when you're, you ha- you're forced to attack, but they must select another target that is not you. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fucking mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's very much for those, what are they called? Like, Shitheads? friendship archetypes or something like that in Commander? Yeah. Where it's the guy that's yeah. like, you get free stuff, but you can't hurt me. Mm-hmm. The gift giver or whatever. They There was a Commander that they released when they first started, like, officially supporting it. That was, like, all about that. Yeah. Wasn't that, like, 2016? Like, I know they had decks in, like, 2012, but didn't they, like, really start? No, I guess it was 2012 it was when they like had the that fucking time. goat Commander. It was, like... That's what Zed, I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the goat commander. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it. I got it. I play. I played the game. <laughs> oh yeah. What's a mana? Oh shit! <laughs> it burns really during get... your phases, dude. Or it used to. <laughs> uh, so well, yeah. That's what I. That's what I've been doing. Just a, just a lot of 
games, lots of them. Yeah. I'm jealous. I'm jealous for sure because I don't have any like consoles and I don't have a controller for my Mac and Mac also makes it really hard to game, which is both good and bad. Good that I'm not burning a bunch of time on different games when I have other things to be doing, but my FOMO is wicked high. Like I want to play Horizon Zero Forbidden West. It just came out and I want it so bad. Uh, I want to play God of War before Ragnarok comes out. Uh, we are also in FOMO mode for Horizon, for sure. Yeah. Say it again? We are also in FOMO mode for Horizon over here. We don't have a PS5. Those things are impossible to get. I know, especially the cheaper ones. Like, you can get the fucking, what is it, like 500 or 1 terabyte gig, $800 yeah, one? No, thank you, I don't dude. Want, I don't want that. I want the, I don't like, want to use uh, the, the CD. Physical media <laughs> is good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want the CD, dude. <laughs> I need the freaking CD. I need to put it in the console, yeah. and then it needs to go. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what I need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, I'll oh start my. my I'm, I know that my Apple Silicon Mac is fucking like PS5 controller compatible, so that'll start my journey. I'll get the controller, and then. Sometime down the line, I'll get a console. But Jeremy yeah, Gage's major journey. Games. <laughs> Jeremy's journey to becoming Jeremy Gamer. Yeah. Watch my Let's Play, dude. It's going to happen. Please, please and thank you. Support my Let's Play dreams. Well, I think that's a good good amount of opening banter and, and icebreakiness for the listener. I mean, we know each other, but you got to get everyone else warmed up. And give so, them a little taste. Yeah, give them a little taste. Just a car, huh? Nevin. Just a car? Tell him about it. Oh, jeez. Do I have to? I guess so. You do. Just a car is a... You can, you can technically call it a TTRPG. It's what I've been calling it. Just a car is a tabletop role-playing game of mystery courtroom drama for four players. Specifically four. In Just a car, you create a crime and then play through the courtroom trial proceedings for that crime. And it's a mystery game because when you create the crime, you intentionally leave blanks. You leave room for questions to be answered. You're not sitting there and saying, this is true, this is false, this is who did it. Instead, the game guides you through creating facts in a way that makes you ask questions. And it does a a pretty good job of this, I think. And then once you've got everything created, you take a little break, you come back, and everybody takes on a different role in the courtroom. The judge, the stand, prosecution, and defense. And everyone's doing their own thing and just uh, collaboratively working together to try and figure out the truth behind this mystery. It is inspired by all sorts of courtroom drama and courtroom comedy. You got Phoenix Wright, you got My Cousin, Legally Blonde, A Few Good Men, 12 Angry Men, all the all the, the good stuff, all the classics. And yeah, it's just uh, made to do that. I, I love it. Admittedly, I haven't had the opportunity to, to read through the full document. I'm seeing it here now for the first time live, listener. But I think it would be really cool and a great way to sort of explain what's happening through here. Have you had, so I just want to check in before we 
we have you had the opportunity to like play test this at in its current iteration? Yes, mostly. Okay. It's been play tested okay. a few times. The case creation has been fully play tested in the current version. The case playthrough mm-hmm. has not been play tested in the current version, but the mo- mm-hmm. the version before this I did play test. Okay. Well, well, I think it'd be fun if we, and something I might do for future episodes, why don't we just do like a little mindscape walkthrough of, of what would happen? Like, let's play, let's play a tiny version of the game live. Is that something that we can, we can do without like getting into a whole Miro database and stuff? Hmm. <laughs> Is this the wild card you were waiting for? No. Well, we like, probably like, how do we set up the game? How, yeah, how do we, we can, set up? We can, how like, do we start? Yeah. So the first thing is, you know, the game guides you through important things to keep in mind at the table, right? Like this game is a conversation. Mm-hmm. Be mindful of each other. Be mindful of like you can you can explicitly never take control of another player's character. If you have an mm-hmm. idea, you have to pitch it to them. You have to be like, hey, would it be cool if your character lost a whole bunch of money gambling on pogs what a specific example there's it, it it very much walks through like the core tenets of this game another thing that it wants you to keep in mind is that the characters are opposed but the players are not and it talks a little bit about how to role play and how to step out after everybody's mm-hmm. read through that and on the same page it guides you through creating your palette which i actually got from i think they're I think it's Eve Mendez now. Yeah, uh, I got it from Yarn Spinner, and I'm sorry, did you say Street Magic? It's basically just everybody puts in like tonal touchstone words, like colors, themes, genres, topics, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Everybody submits two, and then everybody goes around the table and picks one that they didn't submit, and that creates mm-hmm. your palette, which is like the thing to stick through for the game. Then it actually starts to walk you through the setup phase proper, which is like creating the case and everything. To make the case, you chat about what the crime is, you determine the crime, you create your individual epiphany clocks, you create the defendant and victim, everybody picks their roles and then creates their characters, then you draft up and pick evidence, create the outlines between all the characters, ask your questions that you specifically have about the case, and then you begin playing. Wow. So, you know, I might pick, I might supply two words like volatile and brickwork, right? Right? And you might provide something like... Let's say noir and underdog. Cool. And then I would get your two and go, oh, I like like underdog. That's cool. Everyone likes an underdog story. Mm -hmm. And then I would take brickwork because that's, to me, very evocative. Ooh, amazing. And so I guess as we're talking about one of my opening thoughts is even though you have these safety structures in place where it's a conversation and the players are not opposed, but the characters are, how do you, have you had any instances of like overtalk or steamrolling in any of your play tests of this game? You know, like, one lawyer sort of like, objection and, and stuff like that. Like, has it not been funny or anything like that? 
There was one instance in playtest where someone was <laughs> very much just they they pulled up a list of all the things you could object to. Turns oh, out God. turns out there's a lot. Turns out there's a lot of stuff that you can object for. And I, I know that they were doing this as a bit and it was funny, but that did teach me that I needed to come in and I needed to adjust the rules. So now mm-hmm. instead of it being you can object for anything, it's these are the three reasons you can object for in this game. Ooh, very good. Very cool. I think that's really smart, too. Because I could just see, like, I <laughs> I know some people in my life who, if we played a game like this, it would very much become, like, a gaslight argue fest. So I'm glad so, that... Yeah, go ahead. One of, one of the ways that I kind of get around that, and the reason that, like, gaslighting or arguing or whatever hasn't been an issue is that the game makes it very clear that you are not competing. There is no winner at the end of this game. You Mm, are mm -hmm. playing together to tell a story and unravel like this mystery. That's like the whole key tenant to like opposed characters, not opposed players. The game very much Mm -hmm. wants you to anytime anything does get heated or you're confused about something, step out of the character's shoes, talk about it as players get everybody on the same page and then go back into it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And then, you know, after sort of setting, getting on the same page with your table, you start to create characters, right? The defendant and the victim. Oh. And you, no, you're good. It's live. What's up, little doggo? It's fine. Ripley. Hey, come it's here. Fine. Ripley. Do you want kisses? Come here. Come here. <laughs> you're fine. Oh, love to get, love to get mail delivered. <laughs> it's the mail alarm. It's the mail alarm. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna wait until she chills out, and sure. then we'll just pick that back up with. Okay, I think we're good. Jam cool. took care of it. So, Jam saved the day. Nope. Jam, just hug, just hug the puppy. It's okay. It's not that. It's not that loud in the background. And it's I. Right. I warn people all the time. That I talk to real individuals with real ass lives. So a little dog Jeremy, barky that they can get behind. Jeremy, I'm trying to be fake. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying to be I'm trying to be Twitter right now. You know what I mean? Twitter in real life. Anyways, uh, you were gonna ask me something that was probably going to be a very good question. <laughs> well, so a little bit as you're designing like the characters of the game, like the roles in the court, right? You have a list of moves and things, but you mentioned at 2.2 GMs and two players. Can you just can you just tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so this game is technically GMless. Everyone has like almost entirely equal say over the the story. But there are two particular roles in a courtroom case when you look at courtroom drama media there are always Mm -hmm. two rules that are two roles that are kind of holding all the cards or at least can affect things the most directly that's Mm -hmm. the judge and the witnesses or in our case the stand they purely because of the types of characters that they're playing they have a bit more of a direct direct line to touch on the truth of things the Mm -hmm. or more of a direct way to like influence things that are going on Mm -hmm. the judge is kind of obvious they are the judge they get to decide if 
someone gets held in contempt. They get to decide if an objection is sustained or overruled. And they can even just dismiss things outright because judges are able to do this. The stand is playing three different characters that are all witnesses to the to the event. So whether the stand is deciding to tell the truth or to lie, they are very easily establishing things, whether true or false, about the case. The prosecution and the defense are more in line with the player roles. While they can affect things and while they can establish things, their gameplay is a lot of asking questions and prompting for things and trying to signal to like, hey, what about this thing? I want to focus on this as a story thing. So the judge and the stand very much are more in line with a GM. So to present that, I say this game has two GMs, even though that's not it's it's GMless, but it's kind of got two. Well, I think I think that's interesting, like. Even if it is GMless, I think it's interesting to think about games that are co-GM, right? I I don't know if I could name a game off the top of my head that's like deliberately has multiple GMs, right? We might call that like GM full or GM less, but I mean specifically in a man like I talked with a friend a while back about the idea of like what would a co-GM'd D&D game look like because if you had someone who was really good at designing battle encounters and then you had another friend who was really good at like plot stuff and you had another friend who was like really good at scene description, would you just sort of like switch the hot seat and kind of all be there in the room and GM and use all your strengths Maybe you have like I mean, the plot guy write out some session notes after the game's over, and then you have the encounter person like make and be there to run, and maybe you have the like scene description or really good improv person to kind of do the outside of combat stuff. So I like, I think one inspiration I take from this almost immediately is the thought of this, this, what players usually do in games that more traditional games where they're like prodding and poking the space and asking questions and the GM is giving the answers, but instead you've divided sort of like who gets to answer what amongst two people, which I find really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I also like the, the (laughs) bit about the epiphany clocks too, that like you get a confirmed truth after a little bit. Yeah. I, I'm very, very happy with the epiphany clocks as a mechanic. It's just good. It's a good pace. Sometimes you write something and it's just good. And this is one of those times. It also comes back at the end. So when you have finished up the trial, whether or not you have your own epiphany clock filled affects what you do at the end. Mm-hmm. And the more players that have their epiphany clocks fully unlocked, the like quote unquote better ending you get. Um, <laughs> the good ending. <laughs> so like we, you get to the deliberation phase and you step into mm-hmm. the shoes of the players. You step out of the characters and you are the players and everyone who had their epiphany clock filled establishes or like reveals a new truth. One, one additional new truth in the last phase of play. Mm-hmm. Then everyone who did not have it filled reveals how something that was said to be true is actually a lie. And then 
finally, you take a look at how many clocks are filled and you get to decide your your ending. And those are, let me scroll down to it so I can just remember everything. It's all the way at the bottom. If you only have one clock filled, so much information is missed that whoever committed the crime goes free. Whether that means mm. you find the wrong person guilty or there is like no verdict Whoever actually did it gets away with it. And then on the opposite end, if you get all four of the clocks filled, not only do you uncover the deep conspiracy behind everything, but you actually put the person who is truly behind every aspect of the conspiracy behind bars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, some sort of like shadow figurehead or shadow puppet master mm-hmm. person. Uh, very Maximilian Pegasus. <laughs> Why did that why did <laughs> why why him <laughs> <laughs> i think it's because i showed my partner grace the first episode of Yu-Gi-Oh, and i just wanted to read oh, joey's ridiculous accent <laughs> what a what an episode of tv that aired <laughs> <laughs> and it does the first episode does not hold up it's like a whiplash of events you it's a, not good dude <laughs> <laughs> An older man gets beat up through holograms, and then I don't even, you have. A- <laughs> I don't even think it was the holograms. I'm just imagining Kaiba just knocking this dude out. <laughs> <laughs> just took the card from him. Go ahead, draw your last pathetic card, Yugi. That's his voice, right? <laughs> and just agrees. Also, your grandfather went to the hospital, dude, and Kaiba's like, "Duel me, punk ass!" And Yugi just goes, "I have to now." <laughs> You it's didn't. Like, you didn't have to. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a shonen. It's a shonen. It's a shonen yeah. about a card game, and it's just ridiculous. I've seen some shonens with some protagonists <laughs> that are like, "No, I don't think this fight makes sense." I this person's hurt. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. My grandpa's in a coma because you beat him up. I'm yeah, going to go see your ass, and, dude. And sue you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your blue eyes, white dragon. I'm taking the company. Your ass is grass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> but that's all to come so, back to say that, yeah, the, I think, and it's also interesting, you could play, there's like a little bit of a strategy thing with the Epiphany Clock, too, and that you could play to not, like, upgrade all of your epiphany clocks you could negate a truth and see a different end come out if that's sort of like the story you wanted to tell i find that fascinating. i don't i don't think that you can actually intentionally try to not oh. fill up your clock all of the moves the the way that you fill it up is by doing moves and for the most yeah. part all of these moves take it by one mm-hmm. there are some instances where you take another player's clock by one or like yeah. when the when the stand lies, yeah, even when the stand lies, they fill in someone else's clock because mm-hmm. the act of lying reveals truth in and of itself, right? I don't think that there is a single thing in here that unfills the clock. Well, then be on the lookout for Jeremy Gaze's Jessicar PvP module coming to you 2022 this summer. Perfect. Perfect. The the trick Reduce I think your epiphany clock by one. The trick I think is I'm I'm obviously still adjusting these numbers. There's going to be much more play testing before I finalize everything. But I think what it's going to end up being is just the epiphany clocks are going to be bigger. Whoa. 
They're Instead four of, right now, right? They're four. Yeah, four they're four blocks. right now, which I think is just extremely easy to fill. But I want to see how that works. Mm-hmm. I want to see how it feels before I fine tune mm-hmm. it. It'll probably end up being somewhere between like six and eight, I think. Yeah, it should just be an odd number. You should do five or seven. I'll do like 23. <laughs> 23 segment. Four so 23 step, segmented so, clocks. So step, step one of gameplay is I need you to create a circle and then divide it into 27 even <laughs> pieces. Please do this for me. Yeah. Another <laughs> amazing component of this is that you've built a very popular meme into the physical play space of this, right? Pepe Sylvia? The always Are you talking sunny. about Pepe Yeah, Pepe Sylvia. No. Yeah. <laughs> is that what Char- it's called? It's Pepe Sylvia, yeah. Charlie Charlie Day is like Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. What the heck is Pepe Sylvia? Who is this? I don't know. <laughs> yes, you built it into the game. Talk about yeah. that. So one of my the let me think. Let me let me find my words. I'm so I'm still thinking about Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> that man's name is Maximilian Pegasus. Owner of Dual Monster Island. <laughs> what an he asshole. Comes, <laughs> he comes back. He's in he's in the story later. <laughs> Jeremy, this is not our anime podcast. We can't do this. Um, we did talk about that last time. We did talk about having an anime podcast. We did. Listen. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about a game. And all I can think about is this blonde asshole. Um, <laughs> so, Millennium I. Oh Sorry. my god. He put that thing in his head. A big core component to Just a Car is as you play, you are actually, whether you're playing physically or digitally, you are actually putting things in a space. So like when you play physically, when you're making your characters and you're creating evidence and and stuff like that, you're actually writing their information on a note card and putting it on the physical shared, shared play space. And, and you're arranging everything. So like, in front of me, I have my defense character. In front of you, sitting on the other side of the table, is your prosecution character. And then we've got the the judge and the stand also sitting, and they have their characters in front of them. With, like, the name of the crime and, like, the details of, like, what the crime was, who the victim was, who the suspect is, all in the middle of the table. With, like, sticky notes describing, like, secrets and... And things like that. And once you've got all that on the table, one of the one of the last phases of play is you actually draw connections between everything. So you take some string and you put one end on your character and one end on another character in the case, and you describe a connection between them. So like some one of my favorites we got is like, oh, these two characters matched on space tinder. In every playtest, someone has a crush on someone else, and I think it's amazing. It's a classic. But everybody everybody goes and makes these connections, and you end up with, like, a conspiracy web. In total, every player makes three different connections. Two from their character to other aspects of the case, and then one from a character that's not theirs to a character that's not theirs. 
Mm-hmm. So by the end of it, you end up with this like ridiculous web. And then as you play and as truths are established or things are revealed, more gets added to the play space. And it just, it looks pretty sick. And I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. I love it. I think it's super cool. Also conversation then for the box set edition of just a car that comes with a packet of index cards, a packet of post-it notes and a spool of string. That'd be pretty cool. It's pretty good. It's it's very much what was that company called? Beetle and Grimm, the ones who did like the platinum D and D like. Oh uh, yeah, like they're like five hundred bucks or some bullshit. Please, Maya. <laughs> yeah, I mean the stuff they make looks pretty sick. I'm not gonna lie. It is sick, but I don't know if I could pay five hundred dollars for. I mean that you know I'm not their obviously I'm not their demographic, so <laughs> I'm not all the way in. To Dragon Heist. You wouldn't spend $500 for a neat looking D20? You <laughs> Say that, say that one more time. Ask me that question one more time. You wouldn't spend $500 on a really neat looking D20? You're right. I would. I would absolutely do that. <laughs> That's actually where all the ad revenue for this podcast goes. It goes to Dice. You know, that makes sense. <laughs> Nothing else to just, add there. <laughs> Yeah, just I like little artifacts. Amazing. So what has been sort of, I know you love the Epiphany Clocks, but what has been your favorite sort of design? What do I want to say? Design, like mechanic that you might carry forward. Like what's something you learned about yourself in the process of making this game that you might carry forward to other games? This has actually been the most difficult game design project I've ever done. This game is hard to design for me. I'm sure that there are other people out there who could take this concept and just run with it. But this, I've learned a lot in, in designing this game. Things ranging from telling people how to interact with each other to creating gamification where there is none it's like in in an early version of this game it was completely different the roles were like there oh excuse me the roles were there but everybody had hold and they would spend hold to do things at one point i was toying around with using dice and i just gradually like it's it's been kind of in phases that i've moved away from traditional things into a very much like gm-less dice-less kind of thing the the most traditional thing in here is the clocks and i've just i've just learned a lot about like knowing when to push what aspects and kind of like this is going to sound really pretentious but like listening to the design listening to the game and figuring out what it needs and what it wants to be Mm -hmm. it's it's I, i have learned to not hold myself so strictly to the vision I have when I start writing the document. Uh, Jesus, we're just having throat problems here today. Randy Lubin was on uh, a while back on the show and also mentioned how they needed to like, listen to what the game should be when I believe when Randy was first like really designing games, 
right as uh, he was getting into the LARP scene, the American LARP scene, yeah, he had a design friend where he was like making a game and he wanted like dice in it and felt like there needed to be like tables and rolls and stuff. And then a friend of his like, hey, Randy, this thing is time. It's telling you it wants to be an improv game. It wants to be a LARP. Just just make it a LARP. And then it was just so much easier design after letting go of all those like traditional tools that are a part of the game. And I can totally relate like learning how to just like, like leave something in a design doc for another year or something like that, because I can't tell you how many times I've iterated on Umbral Dive in the last six months. Like it is truly not the same animal it was when I had the progenitor idea. So I can totally relate to just, you know what? Fuck it. It start, start anew all over again. <laughs> Get rid yep. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't need any of this. I've got, uh, I've got a stack of notes on my desk right now for another project that is just completely different. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I was working on this very, like, it was going to be like a, a point crawl game where you're playing like these immortals who are just going mm-hmm. around trying to solve problems. Um, and then it shifted to be like a, a cyberpunk game, still a point crawl with some of the stuff, but like totally different. And now, <laughs> now it's going to be a, a Merkborg hack set on the moon that was eaten in gun and slingers universe. Ooh, love that. Love expanded universe yeah. stuff. Actually, I don't know if you... It should have been out. But if you didn't, I had Adam Bass on here like a couple weeks ago. And they talked about how as they were designing Y2K and also Cyber Metal... Shit. 2012? 2012. Is that what it's called? Yep. yep. Sick. Good job, Jeremy. Cyber Metal 2012. And like... Like creating games out of the universe of the setting, like the timeline, I found ripping fascinating. So, like creating these interconnected games that fit within the same. Like, I I imagine, I imagine like spinoff TV series, right? Where you have, you know, oh god, I'm I'm nodding my head. I totally get it. I totally get it. Like you, you had. But the, the listener has to get it. You, you have yes, the Suicide yes. Squad movie, and then you have the Peacemaker TV show. Yes, um, yes, yes, exactly, know. exactly. Spinoffs. Yes, spinoffs. I didn't know if that was going to be right, but it, it, like spinoffs that are connected either through like history of a setting, the whole setting itself, things you took away, or breaking down into like even factions. There's like a lot of different ways you can do this, and. I was watching, oh shit, was, I was watching like a game game developer business video essay or something like that, specifically around video games, but creating sort of like an extended universe to help create legacy and propel community support in a way, because they were talking, uh, one little clip was talking about Final Fantasy XIV and how something that keeps the game alive from, and even like World of Warcraft and D&D is also really a culprit of this, is that all the fan art and actual play content and all the like the fan fiction and stuff that people make for 
different settings or video games is help what keeps them alive from expansion to expansion. Otherwise they may like die out or something, but like people do, I know Hollow Knight's still wicked popular. And even though they've jerked around the community with, I mean, their team Cherry's working as hard as they can, but Silk Song has been in announcement development for aeons now. And, but the, the community still loves it. The community's keeping it alive with all like the deep lore that they're finding and all the fan fiction they write and all the fan art and stuff. So on the marketing side of things, thinking about how to create these sort of interconnected properties to one thing that you help people deepen and connect connect with like a sort of almost single thing instead of multiple things, I think is is pretty smart. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of it. It had not crossed my mind to make this game in the same universe. But as I was talking to my good friend, Viditia Valetti, I was just like, I can't figure this out. I can't like, I, I didn't have any guideposts for this game. I had so many things that I wanted to, to do with it. And talking to Vid and Vid was like, Hey, I mean, Adam is doing a whole shared universe. Why don't you just put this in gun and slingers universe? I was like, Oh, oh fuck. Oh God. I can just do, oh, I can just God. do that. I can just do that. I can make it weird. You just do that. Yeah. Nobody can stop me. What are they going to do? Say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Shut up. I'll do what I want. Yeah, you <laughs> shut up, you. We're mean here at Draw Your Dice. Only because I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> every every other episode I've listened to is so wholesome and nice and, you know, Ooh. serious when it needs to be. And then I come on and I'm just like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> I'm very mean. I promise. I'm the meanest little baby you've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that, it's that folio concept that keeps another person's game alive. It's the forge in the dark. It's PBTA. It's potentially iron sworn. It's Morkborg. Like those are just sort of like the first four games that really popped to mind about stuff that I keep seeing. And then there's also like fate system stuff, D and D five E GURPS. So don't say, don't say GURPS to me. I know, I know. I just read a tweet today about like GURPS on Reddit and how Aaron Times when I was like, what's a good system to like do this to? And literally the first <laughs> comment is almost always GURPS. It's so bad. I was I was doing <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I was doing I was doing promo for gun and slinger. And somebody commented on a Reddit thread. I shit you not, Jeremy. They said, um, "Why don't you just do it in GURPS?" I'm not even. That's that's what they said. <laughs> it's just like, what's good though is that I'm a mature adult. I pay I pay bills. I live in a residence, and I can simply elect to block someone. <laughs> I have. I have no need, time, or energy to engage with people like that. Oh. There are other other games outside there besides GURPS and D and D. It's like getting rickrolled. Is 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 what it's like <laughs> when someone shows up and is like, "Why not just do it in GURPS?" It's like, I guess I am no stranger to love after all. Yeah. Oh shit. You know what? Maybe maybe this new game is gonna be a GURPS hack. I'm coming around. They're convincing me. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Would that then mean that every game is technically GURPS compatible? Every setting is GURPS compatible. 
If you can just do I, anything in GURPS, I'm gonna, right? <laughs> I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a sticker on Jeff's car that says <laughs> "Not GURPS compatible." <laughs> a direct attack on an entire direct community. attack. Amazing. Gurp, GURPS <laughs> lovers, at me on Twitter, please. Yeah. <laughs> but no, like there's there's a lot that you can do, and 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 there's definitely. I am coming around on the idea of making a hack. I don't know if it'll be Merkborg. I I don't know mm-hmm. if this game will be forged in the dark, or I don't know if I'll just say screw it and go ahead and make my own system. But the idea of making a hack is a strong one, especially when it's for a game that is so popular, because you mm-hmm. do get that pull. You do get to be like, when you, I mean, you see it all the time when people do a crowdfund and they say you can play this in Merkborg, everybody shows up. Yeah, the number um, goes up, dude. The the number go up. <laughs> so I don't know. There's there's a there's a lot to weigh there. And if I, I think if I can figure out that I can make this game and and it be true to my artistic vision and it still be a hack, I'll I'll probably be happy with it. Mm-hmm. I'll also probably still add in some systems because I am a gremlin. Yeah, I get it. Listen, I'm designing what I'm dubbing currently the concentric ring systems so oh my god that's banger (laughs) (laughs) it's just like uh, we were on tabletop colin and we talked about how very cool show everyone should check it out monday monday mornings thank you thank you very much yeah come come check it out this monday morning per whenever this episode airs but we were talking about how maybe a game doesn't need a core mechanic, right? So like when we look at D&D, the core mechanic is D20 and add, and that sort of like spirals out to everything. But what if you didn't do that? What if you just had specific systems for specific engagements of play? So like for me, it's what does my combat system look like right that's its own thing has its own set of dice whatever have you i think that it would use like the same artifact i wouldn't make you go buy a deck of cards some pogs and dice to play my game in its entirety but that does sound like a cool game though (laughs) hey someone else can have that i'm not trying to break the bank for anyone on that you know and then what does my exploration mechanics look like they could involve the same dice but by no means have to operate by the same system. So I mean, going like just go ahead. I, I would say that that in and of itself is a core mechanic, isn't it? Like if don't do this, (laughs) like, I mean, I've already said it, Jeremy. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Keep going. You're on a roll. (laughs) Um, those are individual core mechanics that make up the whole. Sure. Sure. And, and it is know. it is to say like those are all modular, like I'm designing it in such a way that like you could take out any ring that you wanted okay. to and still be able to engage with the different systems of the game. That's partially why I'm designing it this way is to like just kind of like like if you if you were not interested in combat, I want you to be able to pull combat out of the system and it have it won't affect anything. That you could just like shift like one killer. or two reward systems to like another ring. That is um, that is killer. Like mo- modularity is definitely something that you can more I'm not going to say easily but more readily, I guess, achieve by designing mm-hmm. the systems separately. 
like mm. take like Monster of the Week or like a, a PBTA game, right? Mm. There's always the mm. combat move, and you can mm-hmm. take the combat move out, but what does that mean for the rest of the game? Especially mm-hmm. since those games and those moves are always written in a way that's very like more story gamey than not. But to have something where it's like a truly isolated, not isolated, like a pillar or like a concentric ring, if you will, that you can just kind of pick up and move without it touching the other things mm-hmm. is pretty mm-hmm. cool. You yeah. you still have to consider like what that means for the game. For, like, mm-hmm. my Astral Dive game does not have combat in it. What does that mean for the game, thematically yeah. and execution-wise? But that's a much more interesting question to me than what if I take the D20 out of D&D? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now that becomes a whole crapshoot. <laughs> Nothing works anymore. But I also think about, like, modularity as a form of need as well like when you think about multi-systems in that like let's say that i'm you maybe all already sort of do this in dnd and i only use that because it's sort of like the rosetta stone of tabletop for most people yeah most maybe there's a newer generation that's i've been experiencing that like is a little less dndified but anyways like i'm imagining what happens if you're a table that just like fucking loves combat so you're doing every like the next four sessions you meet combat combat we're doing boss fights it's sick but then like someone gets a question of like well how are these elementals affecting this local town or whatever like someone gets like story story or fiction curious but the game didn't like readily provide those systems but in a concentric ring style system or folio system or whatever the fuck you want to call it you can then reinsert that ring at no like no regression of your table and be like okay well now we can learn like the faction mechanics and see how that's all parsing out or like the questing system or whatever and then like then we can go into three more rounds of combat like i think what's really important about a multi-system thing is that you're able to take it in but take it out but you're also able to put it back in when you need or engage with it when you want to i think that's really important like if we aren't concerned about like having a campaign, but doing a one shot, the combat ring and the delving ring are probably all you need. But if you're like, man, I would like to like go further than this one shot. Well then now you can insert and do like the iron sworn, your truths thing or whatever, and kind of like make decisions about the world that way. It and makes alter the, it. Yeah. It, it makes onboarding a little smoother. At least that's the idea, right? Because it's like, hey, we're mm-hmm. going to sit down and play this game. Yes, I know it's a 500-page book. You only need to read these two pages. Don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's why, I, that's why I think it's really crucial because then you could also have the opposite too. Like, you could have a table that only wants to engage in zoomed out sort of things, right? They want to do, like, quick mechanics for conflict, you know, maybe one to three rolls of, of something or card draws or whatever. And that decides like how a faction moves or, you know, a relationships meter is changing or a resource management game. Like I'm not saying that's in Umbral Dev, but like that's something I'm, you know, I think about. And then maybe at one point like, oh, this seems like a really like critical moment. And I would love for us to play that out second by second. So let's like get those combat mechanics out or like, 
some of those delving mechanics and see if we can't do like a siege or something. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. That's sick. That sounds no. awesome. You yeah. Keep doing it. Make it happen. That was all, that was all a really long tangent to say that I'm also a little, little mechanic goblin with, with this. And I'm only doing the one just, game. I'm not making anything else. Once Umbral Dive <laughs> comes to life, you're not getting another fucking game from me. It's going to be legacy from that one forth. Uh, this is a lie. This is false. Jeremy doesn't know it yet. This is a lie. Jeremy will make more games. Uh, I won't. I will not. It'll be, if I make anything, it'll be Umbral Dive second edition. That's what the fuck it'll be. Buddy, I sat down and made thou hast been called out and said this is the one game i'm making and then next week i had three more all right listen <laughs> <laughs> what if they're all in the same universe nevin oh i can put them on the moon you could put just a car in the gun and slinger universe oh fuck you I'm going to have to do that playtest. You playtest. a whole setting about it. It's got, hey, the Wild West had courts, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I'm going to have to do a playtest about it. It's going to be great. <laughs> God damn it, Jeremy. Oh, I, I come on it. here and I it, you, you say smart things. <laughs> the prosecutor is a gun. <laughs> Just shoots the witness. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie demon, What do you want from me? Yeah. Oh my god! No truth there. Oh, it's like it's it's fucking. What is that called? Danganronpa, right? That's Jesus. that style of game. Yeah. Don't talk to me about Danganronpa. It's. I wa- I watched the most recent anime of it, or the only anime I guess of it. They did it. An- it was cool. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be surprised they did an anime. It's it's already an anime. It was a good. It was a good who done it. It was a kind of good who done it up until. The end. And then I was I like, just, wait a minute. How could we how could we have known? I just don't like the games. They they're they're bad. <laughs> I don't First, even have the energy to get and now the Dongan Ropen <laughs> community is gonna be coming after us. I'm gonna I'm gonna this episode's gonna go live and then I'm gonna like check my Twitter. I'm gonna have five hundred notifications that are people going, What do you mean? You don't like GURPS. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Well, Nevin, I think that's going to bring us to the top of the show. Do you have any, like, crowdfunding intentions for Justicar coming up? Yes. Justicar will be on Kickstarter, unfortunately, launching March 29th. Fortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not happy to have to be in the position where I kind of have to use Kickstarter. But timelines are weird, and figuring out platforms is difficult. I, I know that you've I had plenty of people on already to talk about the Kickstarter thing and crowdfunding. I don't really want to get too into it, but suffice to say, I had to make a decision, and that decision was to go to Kickstarter. Yep. So uh, I will be starting a three-week crowdfunding campaign on March 29th of 2022. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to find it. Uh, you can find it now, actually, at bytes.rip slash justicar. You can go ahead and follow it's a good url that's a strong url thank you well and also nevin real quick why don't you just give it while you're on the roll why don't you just give a brief outro just so people can know where to get uh in touch with you yeah totally once again 
My name's Nevin, they, he pronouns. Uh, you can find all of my games at nevin.games. It's a really good website. You should check it out. I come in swinging just as hard as I did on this podcast. I think you're going to love it. I do my own projects. I work with my wife, Jam, to produce games and stuff like that. You should check her stuff out as well at dinoberryjam.com. I'm open for freelance work. Hit me up. Check out my games. Buy my stuff. Hit me up. Back just a car March 29th. Sick. Sick. Well, thank you everyone for being with us today. I hope you learned a lot from Nevin because I certainly did. And we will catch you next time. Say bye to the people, Nevin. Bye. Bye. Hey there, listeners. Thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Nevin and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes for getting in touch with Nevin and other content with similar topics. Support Jeremy and the DYD podcast by reviewing the show or joining the community Discord server. Additionally, you can get ad-free early releases of episodes by donating to the DYD Patreon at patreon.com slash dydpodcast. Thanks again for listening, and remember that design is a marathon. So enjoy the journey, and have a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.